uh, kind of the extravagant that goes on in the Christmas season. Most of you have probably shown up somewhere to see some kind of Christmas spectacular, whether it be some sing-along performance or whether it be some amazing trail of lights or whether it be just decorating your home out to the hilt. Uh, there is something about it that's really fun and exciting, and yet I wanted to create something that felt more like an extended living room with an extended family where we could just gather around in a very intimate way and be able to go through sort of the substance of this season. It's fun as we just sit here and I listen to the kind of the, the sounds of children as joyful noises being made. The, the idea that there is this uh, beautiful interruption happening around us is no coincidence. And there are these prompts that I think we're supposed to be in tune to that we could in fact respond to God's beckoning, God's interrupting and God's inviting us to take a next step. Because the invitation of Jesus is always one next step, A to B, B to C, C to D. So wherever you are in your spiritual journey, the invitation of Christ then and now and forevermore will be a single solitary step. I want to share with you a story about a man by the name of Rolando Herrera. Rolando Herrera was a young immigrant who came from Mexico in the early 70s, and he was a part of a large Mexican family, and they made their way up the California coast, and they ended up in the Napa Valley region, not being highly skilled or highly educated, but deeply hardworking. He, Rolando, grew up around this wine industry, but he took jobs wherever he could find them. He took jobs as being just kind of, uh, you know, dishwasher to going to a line cook uh, to eventually just being a day laborer. But they were always at these world-class establishments. And if you've ever been to the Napa Valley, you know that there's very high-end fine foods in the whole region. And he was exposed to all of it but was deeply committed to his hard work. But it was his job when he was serving as a day laborer at Stag's Leap Vineyard where he had this opportunity because he had worked in the vineyard so long and there was just tons of acreage, but he had this, stumbled across this moment where he was allowed to sample some of the different wines. Again, this was sort of a break in the day, being a day laborer, kind of building, moving with stones, working with his hands, but now here he is, this Mexican immigrant sampling the local varietals, and he, with this very sophisticated palate, goes, oh, this, this these are the grapes that come from the north side of the property. And then he sampled another one. He goes, oh, I know where these come from. And it was, it was from the very southern part where the, where, the, where the hillside faces the east. He had such a sophisticated palate as he began to sample the wines. He was a savant. And so I think at that point, Stag's Leap Management looked at him and said, I think there's more than just being a laborer for you here. And so he was made to be in the cellar master, which he did for seven years. But he then began to work his way up in the wine industry. And he went to, from, from being the, the, the cellar master to being an assistant winemaker to being a winemaker to being a director of winemaking for John Hobbs Consulting. This, for some of you who are only into beer, is an extremely big deal. <laughs> but it was during that time, he was working on this little side project. This little side project of his, that he was just experimenting with his own kind of work. Because if you've got that palate, you've also got the skills, and he's been involved in all aspects of winemaking. But he then began to take 
what was a 200 case uh, a year sort of cottage industry into a full world-class wine program that has now been served several times even at the White House. And when he decided on a name for his vineyard, for his own label, he named it Mi Sueño, my dream. I think each of us carry a dream of a better reality than the world we're living in. And I believe whatever sense of justice you have, whatever sense of that's just not right, I believe those are the seeds of the image of God that are deep inside each and every one of us. And it's that dream that we're constantly trying to live out. I believe we hold ambition and we hold dream and we hold some kind of hope for a better reality, a restored reality, a healed reality, a reconciled reality, a peaceful reality. And it's that kind of, of sort of inner turning that I think is, is God's spirit working within us. The challenge with any one of our dreams is, does that dream better someone else? Or is our dream, our aspirational hope, simply for a better reality for me? There is a man who was a retired leader in ancient Israel, and he hung out in Jerusalem, and it says that he was waiting for the relief, the rescue of Israel. Israel was under the greatest Roman uh, super military power of the day, and there was just a lot of oppression. And yet he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. His name was Simeon. And when the child Jesus was eight days old, let me just read for you out of Luke chapter 2 what was happening. And so what I would simply say by this passage is Simeon's dream and, and I think all of our dream about peace and about justice, about mercy, he was dreaming of a leader who was as good, at, uh, as good at leading as he was at following. He was dreaming of a prince of peace. He was dreaming of all of these things. And so whether you find yourself tonight as a passionate believer, or maybe you're here tonight and you're just a hopeful skeptic, I want to invite you to just consider that we all carry this dream, and it, I believe it's the same dream that God intended from the beginning. Listen to the words as Simeon kind of enters this Jesus story and says, now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon. He was a righteous man and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. In other words, there was this hope that God would deliver the people again so that they wouldn't have to be under this oppressive rule, this oppressive taxation. If you're familiar with the Pax Romana, it was the peace of Rome. And the way peace in Rome was sort of managed was by military might for you to see it Rome's way. It was an oppressive way to exercise we all get along. But he was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. And moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him into his arms, and he praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, and now you may dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations. A light for revelation to the nations and the glory of your people Israel. Then Simeon 
blessed and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and the rising of many and to, and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. There was something about the presence of Jesus that would be a dividing line for people. Either some people were going to be enamored with what this Messiah and salvation would bring and usher in, or they'd be repulsed by it. But it would cause the rising in the fall of many. Imagine if you, being a young mother, some prophetic utterance gets spoken over you. That's what my kid has to look forward to? Except to him, it was the fulfillment of what could be. It was the fulfillment of his hope. Now, I imagine that Simeon had seen lots of counterfeits in his time. I imagine that Simeon had seen lots of power grabs. He had seen lots of people who were property owners lose their land only to become day laborers on what was formerly their land. A lot had passed through Simeon's purview in his time. I imagine that he would struggled with his own disillusionment and disappointment in government, disappointment in his own church, disappointment even within his own race of people for how they had compromised and sold out. But this, this, this is the one that he had waited for. And I would contend that this, this is the one that we had wanted for. I'm suspicious, though, that Simeon's dream wasn't quite big enough because he was hoping for a better Israel. And Jesus was going to come and provide a better Israel, but he wasn't going to necessarily deliver them. He was going to walk with them through their storm. He was going to walk with them through their, through their own contentious relationship with Rome. And so it's not that the coming Christ was going to now be a path of least resistance or a path uh, that would just make our lives easier. But Simeon's dream was for Israel. I believe that sometimes our dreams aren't big enough. And Simeon, like us, needs to think about God's salvation for all people. Because when he came, he said, it's good news and great joy for all people. A dream that would be a world free of shame, free of fear, free of regret. It was a world that, was gonna, that God intended from the beginning. So what Christmas then reminds us is that it's a holiday that's way more than just a, a historical tradition. The hope of Christmas is that Christ is coming back and his spirit is here today and is present, which means that hope and healing are always within reach. And that's what we're invited to, Christ in us, the hope of glory. Tonight, we light this fifth candle. We've gone through weeks preparing our heart, not just to look and see God outside of us, but to make room for that inside of us. We've talked about the Prince of Peace. We've talked about joy to the world. We've talked about the hope that would come in the restoration of all things. We've talked about the faith of Joseph to make the journey and to take Mary as his bride. But tonight, we light the Christ candle. Believing that in Christ's 
coming as a child in all of his vulnerabilities, in all of his humanity, in all of his coming of age, what we begin to understand is that when we struggle and when we deal with a world that feels largely broken, it's that God's spirit is still present and he's still at work. In other words, the story is still being written and we get to know a God who restores and repairs and reconciles and we get to be in relationship with a God who's writing a story in us and through us. And so we celebrate the lighting of this Christ candle tonight. Would you stand with me as we begin to sing this, this beautiful song about this sacred night together.